Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insight Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who'll be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business both now and in the future. I'm your host, Chloe Redfern from Hayes, the world's largest specialist recruiter. As leaders continually adapt to the ever-changing world of work, emotional intelligence has become an increasingly important trait to possess, to effectively build trust and confidence with their teams. So today, we're joined by Shannon Howd, Founder and Managing Director of Walk of Life Coaching, Certified Executive Coach and author of the book, Good Work. Shannon is here today to share her expert advice to help leaders develop their emotional intelligence. Hi, Shannon, and thank you very much for joining us today. To begin with, please could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you for hosting today. This is one of my favorite topics, emotional intelligence for leaders. So thank you for having me. I have been running a coaching business now for more than a decade to help change leaders to unleash their own potential of being able to create impact. That's both for our planet and for the people they work with, as well as the bottom line profit numbers. Shannon, we have been living through some extraordinary times. I'm really curious, what are some of the, the main challenges your clients are, are facing at the moment? Hmm. In, terms of the, in terms of emotional intelligence, I think a lot of us are challenged by the kind of coming out of the pandemic and rebalancing our lives in terms of mental health, and also in terms of pace of change and pace the lives we had before the pandemic. So what I'm seeing is a, a great increase in people, leaders, managers, emerging colleagues trying to get a grip on their lives, figure out what is their purpose, what is driving them, what gets them out of bed in the morning, and how can they recalibrate their lives a bit post-pandemic to stay more in balance and to make a difference, really, to start doing more than just making an income. And that's the kind of umbrella that I work within in the sustainability, environmental, and charity sectors. And I think that's the benefit that's come off the back of this pandemic is we've had more time to reflect on who are we, how are we all part of a, of a solidarity movement together as a global, as a global culture. For, for any of our listeners who are perhaps unfamiliar with the term, can you explain what we mean by, by the term emotional intelligence? Absolutely. It's actually quite all-encompassing. It's quite complex in some ways because it covers so many different areas. But basically, it is our ability to be able to understand ourselves, be able to manage our own response, be able to listen and understand others, and then be able to manage those relationships. So it's this holistic kind of ability to navigate our interactions with self and other. And, and why do you think it's now become more important for leaders to, to be emotionally intelligent? I think it goes back to that same issue of pace, right? We're in this kind of fast-paced digital world, lots of pressures, dual income families, you know, lots of economic challenges that we're all experiencing personally as well as professionally. And to be able to have the insights about ourselves 
to best be able to respond to life challenges and then also be able to continue to influence and grow with others in our context, both personally and professionally. And what are the the benefits that emotional intelligence of a leader can have, not just for them, but but on the team and and, and ultimately the the wider organization? Yeah, there's a, there's about six kind of main themes I think of when I when I think about the the benefits of having high IQ EQ or or EI we can also call it. One is the ability to strive to meet or exceed high standards. So you kind of increase your ability to deliver results in a in a softer way rather than kind of plunging forward, thinking only about goals and results. You do that in a softer way. And in essence, you end up being able to reach a higher standard. You're also able to adapt to change and help make change happen. And as we know, the pace of change now in business is so rapid and innovation and staying ahead of the market and being agile and responsive to global effects on our businesses is really important for leaders. They're also able to maintain their effectiveness under stress, look for ways to overcome obstacles, show empathy and insights in their relationships, and resolve conflict, lead others, and cooperate. So all of this allows an emotional intelligent leader to be able to better influence, coach, and develop others, and also bring out the best in themselves and others. It's a huge range of, of benefits that a leader with emotional intelligence is, is bringing an organization there. What do you think are some of the, the telltale signs that, that people can use to, to spot when they're working with an emotionally intelligent leader? Hmm. Well, there's a, a model that I've been trained on and I'm a, a meta coach for, which is Daniel Goleman's coaching program that he runs. He's kind of the father of emotional intelligence. That He rebranded it back in the 90s and has written many books on this. And he now has a coaching program to help coaches like myself to bring this more into business and uh, align it with leadership development. And the framework that he uses is a very simple four quadrant kind of framework where we look at, are you self-aware? Are you able to listen and understand yourself? Are you able to feel emotion and recognize how your body is responding to stress or, or a challenge? The second quadrant is then being able to self-manage that. So how do you respond to that? How do you manage and adapt for yourself, for your own response to those external challenges? How are you able to monitor and be mindful in your actions uh, off the back of those insights you have about your own self-awareness? And then the third quadrant is social awareness. So are you aware of others? Are you able to listen and understand others? And then are you able to manage those relationships effectively? Now, the cross-cutting skill that sits across all four of those quadrants, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management, is empathy. And empathy is a word that some of us don't really understand or we think it's a little too woo-woo or or soft. (laughs) Uh, But actually, it is the key skill. And simply put, I think what empathy really means is listening without responding. So it means really sitting with someone else and hearing what they are saying to try to seek to understand 
where they're coming from. And what that offers a leader is, there, is an ability to really be able to position whatever their own agenda is through the lens of the other person. And that allows leaders to lead change as well as shift mindsets, gain buy-in, and build a morale that is actually not forcing things on others, but rather having them feel that they're leading that journey. And so empathy, I think, really is that key telltale sign of an emotionally intelligent leader. So they don't always have all the answers. They don't feel they need to have all the answers. They're going to engage and enable and empower others on the journey through good listening and empathy skills. It's a really interesting model you've you've just talked us through. The the first element you mentioned there was around self-awareness. Just how important is it for leaders to recognize that their own emotions, you know, perhaps when they're excited or frustrated and and the impact that this can have on their teams? Mm. Again, I think we rush through life in a way, right? We rush through meetings, we go from meeting to meeting, we go from you know goal or target or KPI to the next one. And being able to just actually sit and feel what's happening in our bodies and being mindful of that gives us this mini break, a very short, almost 30 seconds of mindfulness that allows us to take the time to process what's happening internally so that we can choose how we want to respond to others. And that impact that this insight or this emotional intelligence around self-awareness brings is that we then become less reactive and less forceful or less contentious because we actually are giving ourselves this little mini pause where we're just tapping into what's really going on for us. What am I really thinking? How am I really feeling about that? What just was said or what just happened? Which allows us to then proactively respond in a way that considers the audience and the other person in that conversation. So it really brings people along with you rather than it being a top-down approach for a leader. I know that our listeners, this podcast, they, they're leading teams, they're leading departments, they're leading entire organizations. Do you have any tips that you can share on, on how these leaders can develop and improve their self-awareness? Mm. Well, that's a journey. I think that's a <laughs> lifetime journey, to be honest. Those of us that have been on it, we're never, you're never done. But if you'd like to get started in terms of building your own self-awareness, I definitely think there's there's things you can do on your own. So reading certain books by the likes of Daniel Goleman around emotional intelligence. There's also books by Stephen Covey that I think are extremely helpful around highly effective people, the seven habits. So if you want to self-study, you can do some of that. There's also a book called The Chimp Paradox by Stephen Peters, who I think is is really a life changer. But it's really about developing new habits. So the first step is wanting to change or wanting to develop that self-awareness. And if you have that, the rest is going to be easy because you're already motivated. So you can either do it by reading books and trying to do it on your own. You can join a mindfulness-based stress reduction or mindfulness course. You can download apps like Insight Timer where you can be self-trained about how to develop mindfulness. But really what mindfulness is, is about pausing and sitting still and listening to self. And that's what self-awareness really is. It's about being able to hear what's really going on for you 
And how are you processing the externalities that are coming in at such a fast pace? So it starts with the motivation to, to want to develop that self-awareness skill or self-regulation skill. And then it's about what is your learning style to get there? The um, the second aspect of the, the model you talked us through is, is self-regulation. And I, I can certainly in myself sometimes be aware of my emotions or my mood is, is fluctuating. I think that the thing that I struggle more with is, is, is then regulating those emotions. Mm. What can leaders do to, to improve their ability to, to self-regulate? Mm. Yeah, great question, because this is, the, this is the action piece, right? So you can sit and mm. think and reflect and gain insight, <laughs> but then what are you going to do with that information, right? So it's a bit about developing your own self-control, around your emotional response. So again, it's about taking that millisecond of a pause between what you're hearing come to you, what your externality or your input is that you're getting from someone else, and then giving yourself permission to pause before responding. So if you think about really impactful thought leaders or public speakers or politicians even, they're very intentional about how they're responding and what they're saying. So I think the slowing down and taking a pause is the most important simple task you can do to start self-regulating better. So it's really shifting from reacting and a knee-jerk response to responding in an intentional, mindful way to whatever that situation or, or uh, conversation is that you're in. And. I'd imagine that this this self-regulation, this accountability, that will also help leaders to develop trust within their teams. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about your personal or professional relationships, trust is always the bedrock, right? And it's easily destroyed. It's harder to build. So this is a very, very solid way to start building that because people feel heard. They feel listened to, they feel valued, and they feel empowered. And all of those things are what build a positive morale and culture. You mentioned how important it was, you know, motivation as a, as a key trait. How can leaders understand their own team's drive to succeed? And, and why, why does it matter to identify this? I know that we're all motivated by, by slightly different things. Well, that's probably the main reason, right? We are. We all have different learning styles. We all have different motivations. Those motivations can change over time. But if we really want to shift behaviors or we want to shift mindsets or we want to gain buy-in or we want to build morale or we want, you know, whatever it is we're trying to do that's interacting with another human or a group of humans in a team, it's back to that empathy piece where we really need to be able to understand the other person, to understand the audience of who we're working with and who we're trying to collaborate with so that we can meet them halfway. Mm-hmm. And I think where we see this challenged is when we've got very you know top-down authoritarian kind of leadership styles, which can work, right? It can get the results, but you lose the people along the way. And so uh, I think that's the big shift in being able to be a team leader is bringing the people on the journey with you in a way that they feel they're almost leading it. When you when you are in a, a leadership role and you and you do want to, to bring your team along with you or, or or role model 
your own motivation and commitment to an organization's ambitions. How how do you go about doing that? How do you how do you bring people with you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we call it, we, we say a lot of it building buy-in, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's again, using your techniques of empathy and listening and, and enabling others to feel that it's their journey, it's their agenda. Um, so you're not pushing something on them, but you're actually walking alongside them. And what that does is it increases our, and this is a universal human thing. It doesn't really matter what your personal motivation is, but that alone will motivate people to act and be loyal and build that trust. And those are the key pillars that uh, you know allow us to really be able to shift behaviors and mindsets and bring people along with us. I wanted to uh, to talk about empathy, which I've thought about in terms of my my personal relationships, in terms of charitable giving. But it's it's the fourth competency in the model you mentioned. What can leaders do, and and what should they be doing to demonstrate empathy towards their teams? Mm. Yeah, it's actually the cross-cutting piece of the model. So we've got the four quadrants, you know, the self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management, and what cross-cuts all four of those quadrants. So to be a successful, emotionally intelligent leader, empathy sits in the middle. So it's basically the cross-cutting skill that holds all of those four quadrants together. And in order to implement that or to use that to your advantage as an emotionally intelligent leader and bringing the teams along with you, there's kind of four things I always say to do as a way to do empathy, if there's such a thing, and to convert your emotional intelligence to be more empathetic. And the first is to stop and pay attention. Look at the verbal cues of your team. What words are they using? What is their body language? And starting to process those non-direct actually cues and communications. We do a lot of communicating that's non-verbal and I think it gets lost. So being more aware of that and processing that and then being able to respond differently based on what kinds of non-verbal cues you're getting. So that's the first one. The second one is let yourself feel their emotions. You're not just imagining what they're feeling and you're not being sympathetic. You're actually really letting yourself step into their shoes. I call it crossing the bridge. You're on the other side of the bridge. You've let go of your own agenda. You've let go of your own stories in your head. And you're truly allowing yourself to see and feel something from that other person's perspective. The third one is to listen and accept their interpretation. So listening is actually the second most powerful way to create a connection but listening without being judgmental and without trying to change their mind so that they agree with you is the first most powerful way. So it's really about listening and accepting their interpretation or their worldview without being judgmental. And the fourth and last is to pause between stimulus and response to consider your outcome. So you're in control of managing those emotions And how you respond influences how others are going to respond back to you. So that's that pause piece. Um, It's a millisecond. It doesn't have to be a lot of time, but it's that processing just before you respond or you speak that really allows you to improve that connection with others. Some some absolutely brilliant advice there, some of which I think just from my own experience 
really, really useful, but also really challenging in the moment to yeah. to apply and, and also to apply consistently as well. Mm. Well, and that's the thing is we think, you know, oh, we can't, you know, we can't teach an, an old dog new tricks. But actually, we now have neuroscience proof that if you start practicing this, and sometimes that does take a coaching relationship or something a bit more structured in order to shift your own behaviors. But we have proof now through neuroscience that it is possible to retrain our brains, to retrain the way that we respond. It takes time. And as we know, you know, breaking habits or starting new ones takes uh, hundreds of days, but it is possible. And that scientific backing on that is really motivating. Oh, hugely motivating. The, the the final competency that you mentioned was was around social skills. Just how important is both verbal communication and body language in in emotional intelligence when leaders are are communicating with their team, whether that's you know delivering a, a new policy or in the day to day interactions that they have. Yeah. I mean, communication really is probably the most important skill any and all of us have, because at the center of everything we do, no matter what our jobs are, is people, right? And what do we do with people? We communicate, whether that's on a text, an email, a verbal, nonverbal. We are all communicating all day, every day with other humans. So if you think about the amount of time we're actually using and flexing that skill set, it is probably the most important, right? And so underpin your communication skills with that empathy, and you're going to improve on your ability, again, to bring others along and to help others to see your perspective because you're actually prioritizing their perspective. So the verbal versus um, body language is also really interesting. I think we're very focused on verbal communication, whether that's written or verbal, in fact. The body language tells us so much. So starting with yourself, again, being aware of how your body is reacting to a certain situation or comment or challenge or stress is as important as being able to watch others' body language in response, right? So they're communicating to you, not just through their words, but through their body. So having a new radar up for that is going to give you new intelligence, new insights into what's really going on for that other person. I've seen it so many times more more recently on video calls than in face-to-face meetings. Uh, someone is delivering one message verbally and their body language is saying perhaps the complete opposite that I am I'm not excited about this idea or uh, engaged with this because my body language is is really shut down and it it undermines or can undermine what's being said verbally. Mm. Yes, exactly. And if you're just a little bit more attuned to that, you'll actually be able to then process it and integrate it into how you're going to respond to them. So one thing we do in coaching is we often say, you know, I've noticed that your energy shifted when you said that, right? So we then explore why is their energy shifting? What has happened for them? What story in their head did that trigger? And so that's the kind of work you would be doing on for yourself and then helping to translate what others are giving you in terms of that, uh, in terms of those feedback loops. Is there, is there anything else that leaders can do or, or skills that they need to possess outside of what we've already discussed to help them develop and grow their emotional intelligence? I think 
it's really that motivation and commitment. If if you want to make these changes and you want to be a better leader and you want to be more emotionally intelligent, to intelligent both for your teams and for your own professional development, but also your personal life. Don't forget that this is all extremely powerful in building a, a life of happiness, right? This won't just affect you in your professional life, but it will affect you across all of your relationships. So if you're motivated to do that, you've got the neuroscience that proves you can do it and that you can retrain your brain. So it's about deciding what you're willing to invest. Do you want to do a coaching program with a coach and do one-on-one? Do you want to join some courses to learn more about this? Do you want to set aside five minutes a day just to sit and do a mindfulness practice? You know, what are you willing to commit to and what is your learning style so that you can start to integrate some of these practices and learnings into your day-to-day? Shannon, such useful advice there. Thank you. I'd like to finish with a question that we ask all of our podcast guests. Outside of emotional intelligence, what do you think are the three qualities that make a good leader? And crucially, do you think these qualities have changed as a result of the pandemic? Hmm. Yes, I love that that reflection of pre and post pandemic. I think that, again, I think as a leader, it's about being able to read your audience, right? You have lots of different audiences as a leader. You've got your, maybe your board, you've got maybe your investors, you've got, you know, your team, you've got lots of different stakeholders that you're going to be interacting with on a daily basis. So it's being able to, again, read their response, understand where they're coming from and leveraging that insight about the lens that you should be then trying to reach them through or the communication style that you need to reach them through so that you can bring them along with you and build that credibility and trust. So that's the first one. I think the second one is probably being able to motivate others, right? So there's, again, we all have different ways to be motivated. Some want a salary raise, others just want to feel recognized, but being able to understand what motivates those stakeholders and uh, especially your team. So those are the two, I think, key qualities that make a good leader. You would ask for three. I think the third one is just to have your finger on the pulse around where is everyone going together? So what is the future looking like and how do you engage others on that journey so that they feel that they're empowered and enabled to create change and live into their own personal purpose? We are all very motivated by purpose and that's not something that we're often proactively conscious of, but that is how we create happy, balanced and successful teams and employees. So as a leader, I think that's one of your your key jobs. And then has this changed as a result of the pandemic? I think, you know, it's this whole work from home video interaction has really been a challenge for leaders and teams and employees, right? Because we're now interfacing through a box or through a screen. And it, it does change how we're able to connect. We don't feel each other's energy. We don't just grab a quick coffee, you know, and have a chat about something that's non-work related. So I think the, the one main thing I would probably just encourage all of us to think about is how can we have an offline conversation with our colleagues like we would if we were in the office more? And how can that really help us to build that trust and relationship beyond what is on the agenda for that Zoom meeting or that Zoom call? 
So again, really looking at others as humans and as as like-minded individuals that we're all in this together and we're collaborating for a common goal. So let's also have a personal side to things, even though we're trying to achieve objectives on behalf of the business. What wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's It's been fascinating speaking to you. And I know after this call, I'm going to think a lot about how I self-regulate, how I can be more empathetic in, in, in my professional dealings. For, for any of our listeners who would like to find out more about you and the coaching you work and the book you've written, where can they go? Probably the best place would be my website, which is www.walkoflifecoaching.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, but you can find those handles on my website. So I'll leave it there. And I'd love to hear from anyone what their challenges are and how they're growing in their own ability to lead and to be emotionally intelligent in their day jobs. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insight Podcast. If you found this advice useful, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. At the same time, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via email, socialmedia at hayes.com.